0: Hey everyone, I am so excited today to share this interview I have with Doug Cartwright. He is the author of his new book, Holy Shit, We're Alive. He's the CEO of the Daily Shifts app, which is a transformation app for mind, body, and soul. He's an ex-Mormon, ex-millionaire who found he was so incredibly unfulfilled with everything that you're supposed to have and supposed to accomplish and went on a deeply healing journey um, through the use of psychedelics and many other things, and it's completely changed his life, and is what has inspired this new book. Holy shit, we're alive! So I hope you have a pen and paper, and you can write down these amazing little nuggets of advice and inspiration from Doug. And I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Yeah, I can hear you. Perfect. Awesome. There you are. Well, Perfect. Thank you so much for taking this time to meet with me. I'm so honored to like just get to talk to you and just mm. ask you questions about your book. I Have it here all marked up. Wow, look at that. (laughs) Yeah, so I see that fireplace in the background. Are you uh, somewhere cold?
1: I'm actually in Topanga, California. Oh, okay. But I do a cold plunge every morning. Nice. And so my, I'm just, like, bone-rattling, chill, cold every morning until about 2 p.m. So yeah. I have, like, a blanket and a fire <laughs> to, like, warm myself back up.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Do you do the cold plunge um, just in, like, a, a bathtub with ice? Or do you have, like, a lake you go jump in?
1: Um, so I have a pool in my backyard. Oh, okay. And I just haven't turned the heat on all winter. Okay. And there so it actually stays really chilly.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. That is – So. That's one of those things I feel like I love doing them, um, definitely don't do them enough, and that's like such a huge like mental thing to be yeah. able to get in cold, cold water, so.
1: I know, at the beginning it's hard, but then you get used to it, so.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: where are you calling it from?
0: Um, So I am in Northern Virginia, so I'm about Ooh, like, uh, Centerville, Fairfax County. Oh my 10.
1: gosh, I, I used to live in Centerville. No way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. What are the odds of that? It's such a small little area.
1: Yeah. So when, in my book, when I talk about it, I was doing my sales job, I was, I did a summer of sales in Centerville, Virginia.
0: Wow. That's yeah. wild. That is wild. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah that's pretty cool. Wow. I, I don't, haven't met anyone who's ever been here to Centerville.
1: Yeah. So. I loved it. I lived by the uh, Lifetime Fitness.
0: Okay. Yeah. I actually used to teach classes at Lifetime.
1: So that's right
0: down the street yeah. yeah okay oh cool that's really cool and I'm actually from California so I'm familiar with Topanga and um, I was raised in San Luis Obispo oh amazing so it's a great spot <laughs> yeah it's awesome I absolutely love it there love it it's very different life over here on the mm. east coast though yeah totally yeah, for sure all right well I have I've just taken a ton of notes on your book and I was introduced to it. Just my cousin posted it on his Instagram story. And I was like, that looks interesting. Just the title alone. Holy shit. We're alive. I was like, I have to see what this is about. Um So I got it. And I had a hard time putting it down just because I felt like there's so much of my own journey, like in the story that it was like, I feel like it's the becoming of, of you, you know, and like everyone can relate to that in some way, shape or form. Um So, one of the biggest things that stuck out is when you talk about how you had to lose everything you thought defined you before you could redefine yourself on your own terms. Yeah. So
1: are we recording? Do you want to record this?
0: Yeah, we can if that's OK with you.
1: Oh, OK. I don't know if you wanted to get started. You were starting right now or not. Let's see.
0: Recording in progress. There we go. All right. <laughs> OK, so I just want to hear more if you can go into a little bit more detail about like that whole process of unlearning um, everything you thought defined you.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. And anyone, you know, usually when I tell people I grew up in Utah, the first question is, well, are you Mormon? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I grew up Mormon and I grew up in a bubble. And
2: mm-hmm. when
1: you grow up in a bubble, you don't realize you grew up in a bubble. So everyone in my neighborhood, you know, I grew up uh, east side, Utah upper middle class. Everyone was white. Everyone was pretty much leaning conservative politically. Mm -hmm. Everyone had some money and everyone was Mormon. And so that's just kind of what the world was to me. And with that comes, you know, people tell you growing up, your life is kind of laid out for you.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: this is you're supposed to get good grades in school and go to church and be a good right. member of your community. And in Mormonism as men, when you turn 19, you get called to go on like a service mission, like to become a missionary. Right. And so I don't know if you've seen like the book of Mormon musical or whatnot, it kind of pokes fun at that. But you know, it's kind of like this big looming coming of age ritual in, mm-hmm. in the religion. Um, and after that you go to when you, when you complete your two year service mission, you come back home you go to college, mm-hmm. you get married, you have kids, yeah. a million kids. You know, <laughs> you get the, the house, the make a fence, and the car, and then you go yeah. on vacation. So it's like your whole life is planned out for you, and this is the way you act, and you don't drink alcohol, and you don't have sex before marriage, and mm-hmm. we're not supposed to drink coffee. And it's like...
2: oh, coffee. And,
1: and, right, you know, I the caffeine know thing was yeah. is an issue. And especially inside the religion, from a very young age... Mm -hmm. They give you the answers to the very difficult questions like this is where you were before you were born. You are a spirit. And then this is the purpose of your life. And if you live your life in accordance to God's will, right, then this is the reward you get in heaven. And so this is all instilled to you when you're like six years old. And so (laughs) it almost gives you this freedom Mm -hmm. to go out into the world and kind of just do whatever you want because like you don't have to think critically right because all the the difficult decisions are taught for you and and as you know those that have read the book and gone through it as you realize as i get older i start to question some of those things and when you question these deep rooted subconscious beliefs and understand that there's a new way
2: Mm -hmm. it can
1: break you and -hmm. it causes a massive paradigm break as, as i went through and and so you know one thing that has been very beneficial in my life that I want to share with people is that like there's a new level of life and opportunity and expression if you're willing to challenge your core beliefs and these subconscious beliefs that you were taught at a young age whether that was through you know where you live part of the world what religion Mm -hmm. you were raised or whatever it may be we all have these subconscious belief patterns we've been instilled and if you're willing to question those you know there's a lot of reward for you on the other side of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, at least in my experience, finding out what are those core beliefs. Because sometimes, I mean, we just go about our lives just living, doing what we've always been told, what we've always done. Um, and then it's not till you get a little bit older where you're like, well, what what are my values and what are my beliefs and where did they come from? What are they rooted in? And is that what I actually believe? So. Um,
1: yeah. It really reminds me of a quote from my favorite scientist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He says, it's so much easier to be told what to think than to how to think for yourself. Right. Right. It's so much easier just to be like, "Okay, Tell me what life is. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what's true. Tell me what happens when we die. Okay, great. I don't have to look at that because <laughs> it's uncomfortable to look at that mm-hmm. because no one actually does have the answers right. and sitting in uncertainty is really uncomfortable yeah with for a lot of people you know we we like to have this sense of control that we can predict outcomes um, makes us feel safe and if you take that away take away that safety it's it's extremely unpleasant and uncomfortable
0: yeah absolutely and you mentioned like towards the end of the book about how you know most of the time we spend our lives just trying to comfort ourselves and keep away from these negative emotions and feelings you know much to your point of it's uncomfortable to sit with it.
1: Yeah, I think you know. A lot of times, people ask me, like, "Hey, what's what one nugget of advice do you have for me?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I continually, you know, it changes here and there, but I continually go back to this phrase of sit in the discomfort of not knowing. That'll do more for you than any other thing you do in your life. Just can you be okay not knowing? Can you be okay not knowing? What career to be in? Can you be okay? No, not knowing um, if you're going to get pregnant or get married or what your career is going to turn to do or where you're going to live or how's your health? You know, yeah. can you sit in the discomfort of not knowing and uh, being able to stay calm and centered in moments of uncertainty is is truly a superpower.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, so, what would be your what's your advice for someone who might struggle with with that, or they're just getting um, started with? you know, maybe meditation or mindfulness and just trying to calm themselves um, when when there's things in their life that are uncertain?
1: Yeah, I think coming to grips with the fact that there are a lot of things that we can't know and we don't know the answers to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So we, we wrestle for these answers that we just possibly can't know. There's outcomes that need to happen to unfold before we can even get an answer, you know, and, and kind of going with low-hanging fruit in regards to, what's going on in the world right now as we film this is mm-hmm. the war in Russia and Ukraine. Like yeah. we can stress and worry and, and, feel the empathy and loss for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, we don't know how this is going to unfold. Right. Right. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's really easy to right. get stuck in doom scrolling where we're reading every article and every news outlet and every video and get lost in this world. Um, that really we, causes suffering internally. Mm-hmm. And you know, we help out where we can, but overall, like, no one knows what's going to happen here. Right. You know, and we saw it really play out, especially in the pandemic, right? We didn't know Mm -hmm. what the pandemic was going to offer. We didn't know how serious the virus was over time, and some sides claimed it this way and other sides claimed it that way. The others, no one knew. And so I think, you know, how do you leverage that in your own life is first come to the realization that, you don't know, and it's okay Mm -hmm. not to know. And give yourself permission not to know. And then on a tactical aspect, I would say embrace a very simple and beginning meditation practice, right? And meditation doesn't have to be, you know, 45 minutes sitting cross-legged, you know, with your fingers singing Om. you know. (laughs) Meditation, start basic, start with five minutes and just focus on your breath. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: when you focus on your breath and quiet with your eyes closed, you know, it regulates our nervous system and calms us down. Right, and so being able to be a strong meditator is one tool that I use that helps me stay calm in moments of uncertainty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your meditation practice? I mean, do you aim to hit you know at least once a day? Do you like to do it morning and night, whenever you can? What's your in an ideal situation? What do you like? To so do? I would
1: say. It's gonna be different for everyone. I'll give you mine, but I wanna just make a point before that. I say the best meditation practice for you and those listening it is the one that you'll be consistent with.
0: Yep. One hundred percent agree. Right. Yeah. What,
1: whatever whatever situation that's going to work best for your schedule and your time and your uh whatever you're doing between your day, mm-hmm. wherever you can find time that works best, that's the one that you, you wanna do. Right. I right. I, I um, compare meditation to exercise a lot, right? So what meditation is for the mind is what exercise is for the body. Mm-hmm. And if I came to you and I was extremely out of shape and I ate poorly and then you took me through one badass CrossFit workout I would actually probably feel worse after yeah. than I did before because my body is going to be sore. I'm going to be aching, right?
0: Yeah. But
1: if I if you took me through you know, a really re- regimen, intense hit training with CrossFit and healthy eating. After 90 days, I'm probably going to feel a lot better than I was. But that initial hump is going to be difficult. And so it's the same with meditation. You know, if you go and meditate once, your mind's going to be racing like crazy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you're going to have all these thoughts, and you're not going to understand the flow of the mind. It's going to take a long period of time. But after you know, I would say after, for sure, after five days of meditating, you're going to notice a difference. And I just say, start small. Start at three minutes. When I first started meditating, my meditations were three minutes long, and that was excruciating.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, that's three minutes was excruciating. And so what my meditation practice looks like today is I usually hit it between 9 and 10 a.m. after a, I do a workout.
2: Mm-hmm. So I have a
1: Peloton. I like to move my body. I like to stretch, and then I like to meditate. Um, and that's where I'm the most... I feel like that's the time where i stack it so it's like workout stretch meditation it's kind of one combination Mm -hmm. and it varies sometimes i go 15 minutes i would say 15 minutes is my minimum Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and there's other days i go 30 minutes but still as a you know i'm a certified meditation teacher now but i got into meditation five years ago and there are still times to this day where 15 minutes is excruciating and that's okay. I give myself permission not to be perfect, right? I don't judge my meditation practice. And and anyone that wants to incorporate a meditation practice, a piece of advice that I would give you is, number one, A, don't judge your meditation practice, right? We're so, we beat ourselves up because it's like we're trying to silence our mind. Well, that's A, impossible. And yeah. my mind's going to wander a lot too and I go to my to-do list and that's okay and, and I don't beat myself up over it. And then I also have times where I'll sit down and I'll meditate for 45 minutes and it feels like five minutes Mm -hmm. and both are perfect. And so my meditation practice is is late morning, but like I was saying at the beginning, the best meditation practice is the one that you'll be consistent with.
0: Yeah. That's what I tell all of my personal training clients is when it comes to workouts, it's it doesn't matter what you do. It's the, the thing that you're going to consistently do. Um, Right. And that's probably one of the biggest things I hear from people when I talk about meditation with uh, with them is oh it's it's so hard i can't I can't do it I, I I can't stop my thoughts and it's it's like it's like yoga right? It's a practice, everything's a practice, and I love that you speak to just the the truth of that you, no matter how long you've been meditating, I mean there's times where it's just excruciating, and I really like that you use that word because I myself that that's how I would describe those times where it's like you just can't it's so hard. It feels like impossible to just find Yeah, that And that's flow. okay. And
1: also if you go into meditation with the expectation that you're going to like meet God, you know, like <laughs> you're going to be disappointed, you know, yeah. it, that's not what it is. It's really, you know, the reason I meditate is because it helps me be better at life. Mm-hmm. I'm able to stay calm you know, because yeah. we have this in our lives. No, majority of us have a stimulus Something stimulates us and then we immediately respond. Right? right. There's almost like no cognitive awareness behind what we're doing. Like we get mm-hmm. stimulated then we respond. Stimulated, then we respond. And what meditation does for me at least is it slows my life down because I'll get stimulated and it creates a pause. Now I have a pause mm-hmm. before I react. Right. Mm-hmm. Do I want to continually respond in the way that I normally do? Or do I want to choose a new path? Right. Right. And be aware behind what I'm doing. And, that, and then create new decisions because so many of us are extremely reactive. Right. You know, one of my favorite quotes is either you run the day or the day runs you. And how many times you have those days where we just feel like the day is just beating us up and we're getting pulled left and right and up and down and we feel like we're out of control.
2: Yeah.
1: And what my meditation practice does for me, you know, yay it yes it is an opportunity for me to reconnect with spirit and my spirituality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But more so than that, it just creates a calm presence about myself so when I move through my day it's much more intentional and I feel like I'm much more in control and I feel like I'm making decisions coming from a place of inner alignment or centeredness
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right rather than just responding to to life and so uh, like I always tell people like hey, if you sit down and meditate to meet God probably going to be disappointed but your day-to-day activities will become a lot more smooth and centered and really it really slows things down for me specifically.
0: Right, yeah that's so true um, and I like that you mentioned the our stress and then our response and like you said most people it's a very short, I mean there's almost no time in between and that's something I learned um, actually from a, a therapist you know she, she brought that up to me um, when I was going through eating disorders and she said you know what we have to do is the stress your response is this, we need to elongate that time so you can be come back to yourself and your body and make a different decision. So spot
1: on. Yeah,
0: I love it. I love it. Um, And then something that I thought of when you're talking about, you know, coming through your day with a little bit more calm, being in control is I always kind of tell myself, hush your rush. A lot of times we rush through our day and I'm like doing all this stuff. I've got two kids, um, you know, business, job, it's everything all the time. And I get so wound up, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm like whoa, and I realize like I'm not even in my body right now. And hush your rush, hush your rush, and mm-hmm. then I like take that deep breath, and it's that. like, <sighs> yeah. And that it's it's just it's really helpful because I feel like, and then maybe just with the pandemic, all the stress, and you know now everything going on in the world, it's we're we're just overloaded and overstimulated, and we're so connected to our devices that I I feel that it's it's just too much and it kind of puts you know this turns up the uh the speed on how we try to live our lives
1: yeah we are all, we're all addicted to our phones yeah me included <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah and so yeah i think that what what i think is happening especially in our generation like Sid and me included in the conversation is we have unpleasant emotions. I don't believe in good and bad emotions, mm-hmm. but I believe that we have pleasant and unpleasant emotions, emotions that feel good, and we enjoy them, and we have emotions yeah. that we don't like to feel.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: what happens is something in our life will spark an unpleasant emotion,
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: rather than feeling them, what we do is we want to distract ourselves from that feeling. Mm -hmm. and a really easy way to distract ourselves is to go search for what uh that dopamine in social media Mm -hmm. the like feels good the comment feels good scrolling watching you know kind of numbing ourselves out and distracting ourselves um from these unpleasant emotions whether that's through netflix and or social media or, or electronics that are a very easy accessible distraction um but there's so much beauty in, you know, one thing that I really learned to do over the last couple of years, which led me to write the book was being able to be okay with my negative emotions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I wish I, could, I remember who, I wish I could remember who taught this to me, but there's something beautiful called the 92nd rule. And I wish I could give the credit to who it was, but I can't remember off the top of my head, but the 92nd rule basically states um, that if we fully feel an emotion for 90 seconds, it'll tend to go away. So a lot of times you feel anxious or depressed Mm -hmm. or overwhelmed or uh, feelings that we're not enough or discouraged. And so we tend to, we have that stimulus of of, I'm not enough. And the response Mm -hmm. is to distract ourselves. Right. Um, But what's really beautiful is we can have that stimulus of I'm not enough, right, and then really feel it. And for 90 seconds, totally embody it, don't run away from it, invite it in, let it engulf you. And then within 90 seconds, it usually goes away. Yeah. So that's a tool that I've been using that's been really beneficial for me lately.
0: Yeah. Do you, when you find yourself doing that, do you picture it as a color? Do you try to see if it's got a texture to it, the the feeling, the emotion, or do you, what do you do? Do you try to describe it to yourself? yeah
1: I usually like to pinpoint it right so I think Mm -hmm. labeling the emotions and giving it credit is really important so it's okay. I'm Mm -hmm. feeling unworthy right now okay then I'll do a body scan where do I feel it in my body Mm -hmm. okay in my heart what shape is it what color is it okay and then pull like physically pull it out right and then embody you know feel it out really embody that for 90 seconds and then transmute that emotion into something different and then put that alternative into you as well and you know it's something it sounds kind of like kind of corny or kind of cheesy but it works really really well I
0: like cheesy (laughs)
1: yeah
0: yeah Yeah. no I Um, think that's really cool
1: yeah but feel I think it's really important to feel our emotions I think
0: yeah
1: when you don't feel our emotions they don't go away
0: Mm.
1: if we just suppress them they're still inside of us they fester and that's what happened to me I, I didn't realize you know that I write about this in my book but my dad died when I was 20 years old and it was devastating. I was extremely close with my father. He was coach of my basketball teams and little league football teams and baseball teams. He was really well respected in my community
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um his cancer came pretty quick and as, as a complete shock and that uh, he was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. About 13 months later, he passed away, and it was really challenging for me um, because I didn't know—I was never taught how to process my
2: emotions—and
1: mm-hmm. I have this very prominent memory of being with my mother um, at, the, at the bottom of the stairs uh, while well, my dad was upstairs on hospice. He was unconscious. It might have been probably the night or the night before he passed away, and my mother put her arm around me to console me. And I remember feeling this flood of emotion and despair and frustration and anger and sadness and uncertainty and all the emotions you think you would feel when losing a parent. And I started to sob uncontrollably, um, all for about two seconds, mm-hmm. because my mind then went to my analytical mind wanted to shut this down right. and was like, be strong for your mom. Don't cry for your mom. You need to be the strong one. And so I pushed those emotions back down
2: mm-hmm.
1: and didn't feel them. You know, and earlier we were talking about ways to distract ourselves and I brought up social media. Well what happened to me in that period and that part was like, okay, my father just died and I don't know how to deal with it. And I'm sad. I don't know how to express, you know, I felt like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And so what I did to distract myself was I actually went to go work for this company, work on a hundred percent sales commission.
2: hmm
1: Because I thought, okay, if I can make money That'll solve this void and this problem and this suppression of festering emotions inside of me. <clears throat> and so I got really obsessed with sales. I got obsessed with leadership. I got obsessed with recruiting. And I started making a ton of money in my early 20s. Um, and I remember at the time I was 24, I'd made a million dollars. And yeah. what I really was trying to do was heal this void inside of me. Heal this void of feeling like I wasn't enough as a kid because I was a fat kid, feeling this void of not being right in the eyes of God by leaving my religion, mm-hmm. feeling this void of my dad passing away, not having to do with it, and just this overall feeling of that I wasn't enough. And so I made a ton of money and I spent a ton of money. So maybe it's the Mercedes that'll make it feel better, or maybe it's the trips around the world sitting first class that'll make me feel better. Or maybe it'll be going to the Super Bowl or the NBA finals or the World Series. Maybe that's what will make me feel better.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I chased this external validation in hopes to solve an internal problem. And as we all know, like that doesn't work. I'm not the first person to tell this story that fame and success doesn't make you happy. That's not my story. But I was able to live it and learn it. And, you know, The big realization came to me of when um, I realized I had been suppressing my emotions and I distracted myself through work Mm -hmm. right and we think we all know people that bury their heads in work
2: Mm -hmm. but when
1: I see that right a question that I always have is that? Like, oh, I wonder if there's an emotion that person is suppressing or something that they're unwilling to look at so they're distracting themselves. Right. And we can distract ourselves not just social media and work, but with working out
2: mm-hmm. and with 100. traveling.
1: And there's so many different modalities to distract ourselves. And so anyone listening would know, prompt this question of like, okay, where in your life are you distracting yourself?
2: Right.
1: And in those situations, what is it that you're actually trying to avoid feeling? Yeah, And that usually is a clue to your healing. That's the first clue to your healing.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And that reminds me when you um, talk about in your book, um, said something about, you know, the fact that you still remember the bully saying, you know, X, Y, Z to you. That's a clue that, you know, that's where the stories started.
1: Yeah, we have these memories, right? In my book, I talk about that I was bullied when I was in second grade. I have this very distinct memory in mm-hmm. second grade. Uh, being labeled the fat kid Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: there's a kid who teased me as being the fat kid and I can still remember it perfectly to this day and that was you know 25 years ago and think of all of the memories and all of the experiences and all the moments that have happened in my life since then there's countless but for whatever reason that one sticks out Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: so our memories are clues to the past and if you have this memory when you were a kid to me, that states there's something for you to uncover there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the fact that you still remember it is usually where our stories begin or usually where there's a lot of healing there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so thinking back to, you know, for as a listener, okay, what are you trying to hide from? What are you distracting yourself from? What's, your, what's the story you're telling your, about yourself?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what are you trying to hide from the world? What are you hoping mm-hmm. people don't find out about you? Right, and then ask yourself, where did you learn that? What's the first memory that comes up? Yeah. Right, and it might seem really faint, or doesn't. Might seem like it doesn't connect. And you know, I work with a lot of clients one on one, and I'll go through this this story progression with them, and I'll ask them, you know, you know, where did you learn that you were stupid, or where did you learn that you weren't attractive, or where did you learn that yeah. you were not enough?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're always like, well, there was this one time when I was a kid. Like, I don't know if this <laughs> I don't know if this is it or I'm not sure, you know, and I hear that a lot. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. If you're doubting, that's it. That's actually usually is where the memory began. And so use that framework and discover your origin story because, you know, I love psychologist and philosopher Carl Jung, young. And he has a quote that says, until you make the subconscious conscious, it will mm-hmm. guide your life and you'll call it fate. And what he basically means is until you, diagnose your stories. They will still mm-hmm. influence the decisions you make and you don't even realize it, right? At the very beginning of the podcast, you talked about our perceptions and our worldviews, right? How do we question those? A lot of them, not only do we have worldviews about the world and how the world should be, but we have stories about us mm-hmm. the where we should be and the way we are. And once you can really dive into these stories and diagnose them and heal them, right, healing your stories, I think, is the best possible thing you can do for yourself Yeah, because it opens up a whole new paradigm of life where you have the decision to make the new decisions that you want
0: right that reminds me i believe it was brene brown that has the quote um you know one of the most courageous things you can do is to you know he- heal your story but by loving yourself through the process um mm-hmm. something i've totally butchered that but essentially you know loving yourself through all of that that healing journey um i think it's 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 really, really powerful. And I think a lot of people, uh, myself included, going through all of the trials and tribulations and all of my healing, there's so many times where it is so hard to love yourself, especially. I realized that it wasn't so much like me having to forgive people, it was me forgiving myself. And that was one of the most painful things that I've done because, you know, we've all done some stupid things. We were just acting out of our highest level of you know, consciousness and what we knew to be true. Um, and going back to those times, those uh, those pain points, I was told uh recently that pain is a compass. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, really powerful when you look back and like, wow, like all those things that we do remember from our childhood, from being bullied, it is. It's really those painful things are a compass of where do we need to go back and, and love ourselves and heal through.
1: Yeah, too. And, and to your credit, I once want to make note of, what happens is a lot of times people will be on this track of, it's. I call it happy when syndrome, right? I'll be yeah. happy when I yes. get the partner, the house, the car, the my health back in order, yeah. the boob job, the facelift, mm-hmm. what, I mean, whatever it may be. And what happens is people then kind of have like this spiritual awakening or do some inner work, but they, they still live in happy when syndrome. It's like, okay, as soon as I can love myself and heal my story, then I can be happy. mm mm-hmm. But there's always interpersonal development work to do. There's always going to be pieces for me to work on. I'm never yeah. going to be perfect. No one's perfect. And I'm I'm going to screw up. And I'm going to make decision, poor decisions. And I'm going to feel hurt. And I'm going to feel devastated again. Yeah. Right? And I'm going to have regret. And so understanding that the happy win syndrome, just because you're doing interpersonal work, doesn't mean you're still going to achieve this state where everything's great.
2: Right.
1: we're not we're not going to make it to this perfection syndrome and so give yourself permission not to be perfect you know as you're saying the Brené brown quote of loving yourself as you're doing the healing
2: yeah. right
1: and self love is something that varies between myself every day right and but it's a continuous practice just like yoga is a practice just like mm-hmm. working out is a practice just like meditation is right. a practice self-love is a practice you don't just claim that you love yourself and then you fully love yourself it's something you have to work on every single day Um, and that there as you know you can improve and you can heal these really big wounds in your life to free you up absolutely Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: we're humans and it's twenty twenty two, twenty twenty two, 2022 and things are getting crazy and you're Mm
2: -hmm.
1: there's going to be war and terror and frustration and sadness that's part of being human but the continuous practice of loving yourself throughout it is what's really, really important. And you can, you know, I just, I just want to make note of that too, where there is no destination where you've accomplished the goal. Right. Right. But it does get better. It does get easier. And and what I realized too, it's like, okay, well then what's the point of the work? Well, what's the point of spiritual work is this is in the past, there might be something that happens to your life that's, that's hard or devastating. Mm-hmm. And you would feel it very intensely and it would be excruciating and it would last for a long period of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as you learn to heal yourself, learn to love yourself and do the work, you still have those moments that are excruciating. Yeah. But they don't feel as intense and they don't last as long.
2: Yeah. And
1: so they get shorter and less deep and shorter and less deep and shorter and less deep. And it's a beautiful life and things get easier and lighter and better but the pain never goes away right. and I think it's a, I can't remember whose quote this is um, but it's you know pain is pain is not optional suffering is
0: yeah I've seen that quote I, I can't remember who said yeah. that but yeah that's and I, a, I know I've it
1: a little bit but we're going to experience pain as being human yeah uh, but the suffering of how long we suffer and the depth of the suffering that's totally optional
0: yeah and I think, uh, going through the healing and dealing with pain, and it, like you said, it doesn't necessarily get easier. Um, but I feel like you you gain tools right along the way, and you pick up these things, and you kind of tuck them away, like, oh, this helped me through. And also, the proof is in the pudding, right? You've made it through, and you know the next healing step, and it's it's there's never a destination, right? You're always going to be on this journey, and as you go through it, you're gaining the confidence to know in those moments where you're really in the thick of it you know you're capable of moving through it and sitting through it um you know until until you're on the other side and you know down to the next part of your journey
1: yeah you're just you're continuously evolving yes right there's always going to be challenges there's always going to be a thing <laughs> right? there's always going to be something you're wrestling with And dealing with, right? That's never going to go away. And so you see people trying to rush through it, thinking, okay, once I just heal all these things and and overcome these obstacles and knock out these trials, then I'll be good. It's like, no, there's always going to be a thing. And so embracing Mm
2: -hmm. that there's
1: always going to be a mountain to climb actually kind of takes the pressure off. Yeah. Because then you're not so urgently, anxiously, angstily rushing to fix everything. You kind of let things flow a little bit deeper.
0: Yeah. Um and then also kind of to the point of that I've I've noticed in my experience um going through just different grief and and loss and the whole process of grief and how there's days when it it hits you all over again and I've caught myself thinking like oh, it's been x amount of time I should be better by now and then I have to like whoa whoa, whoa. that's like old Elena let's have more evolved higher self Elena come in and and she knows that it's okay to still experience all those emotions um, and not be further along like you you think. And it's okay to still, you know, have those feelings.
1: Yeah, there's no timetable on healing, Exactly. Right? It'd be nice if there was. It's okay, yeah. I want to heal this, you know, feelings of I'm not enough and that I'm the fat kid I learned when I was, you know, seven. So, you know, nine months from now is November, so I should be good by then. You know, yeah. like it doesn't work like that, no. so there's no time, so just allowing it to come. And you know, it's it looks like a stock market chart where it goes up a little bit, and then back, then up, mm-hmm. and back, and then up, and then back. But over time, you, you progress,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, kind of like reminds me of just the box, putting ourselves into boxes, and the stories that we tell ourselves, and you know, just going back to like the grief example is one of the stories, you know, I remember hearing and internalize that there is, you know, a a timetable that's approved for, you know, just feeling down or grieving or, you know, whatever the case may be. And as I've grown up, I realized that there's no timetable for anything. And kind of like how we spoke earlier, um, allowing yourself to feel the different emotions as far as it's not, you know, black and white, this or that. We are, you know, these multi-dimensional beings where we can feel happy and we can feel sad at the same time. And that's something that I've been realizing and I teach that to my kids. Like anytime that they are angry and upset, I'm like, hey, we can still feel grateful. Um, and that's one of the things that we do every night at the dinner table is hey, tell me something good from your day. Like, well, I had a really bad day at school. Yeah, but there's always like one thing that we can look back. And even if it's as simple as like, you know, the sun was shining today and it wasn't raining like it has been all week or whatever. Um, you know, it's huge to accept all of the full spectrum of our emotions and be okay with, with that.
1: Yeah. And I think you nailed it. It's like, you can feel, I have a distinct memory of, you know, just last year, around this time, I was going through a friend breakup. One of my best friends mm-hmm. from kindergarten decided he wanted to you know separate our friend it was it came as a shock to me, like, whoa, yeah. we've been friends for feels like twenty seven years Wow, and I wasn't prepared for it and so um I had to grieve, I was grieving, and I was trying to fix it like okay, what can I do? what did I do what do, you know how can I get this friendship back and then yeah. I kind of just surrendered to it, and I remember I was playing golf um with some other friends who were also mutual friends of the friend that broke up with me. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm grieving this loss of friendship right now, but I can still be grateful,
2: Yeah.
1: right? I can still be, appreciate where I am. I get to play, you know, it's a beautiful day and I'm playing golf with my friends and, you know, business is good and my romantic relationships are good. And even though I'm grieving overall, there's still a lot to be grateful. For. So being able to not letting the grief create my new identity,
0: right?
1: Right. And remember that our emotions are just visitors. Yeah. And it's not going to last forever. And just like grief and sadness are like happiness and bliss and joy. I'm going to feel extreme bliss and joy again in my future. And I'm also going to feel extreme grief and despair. Right. But none of our emotions stay. Yeah. And that you actually can embody two at the same time. Yeah. To your point.
0: Yeah. And when you... Start to identify with a certain emotion, you miss out on all the other emotions. Exactly. Yeah, that's a uh, that's really powerful, uh, really powerful reminder, and something that's been very just resonating in my life. You know, lately is 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 just that, like being able to just experience everything. And someone told me, I mean, if we can spend so much time thinking about and all the negative stuff. Um, then we're really you know we have to be able to acknowledge all the good stuff if we're you know ruminating on all these you know what if scenarios all this what if bad like isn't the opposite doesn't the opposite have to be true that there's all this what if good um right and that's that's another little thing i like to do it's it's kind of cheesy but it's instead of what if bad it's what if good um just what if
1: the exact opposite actually happens and all your dreams do come true
0: yeah yeah exactly what if that
1: happens Yeah. yeah
0: Exactly. It's it's really fun to do, especially um, with with my kids. And it's just, you know, off the wall stuff. Like if they say, well, what if this happens? This would really be bad. I'm like, but what if like rainbows fell out of the sky and we could catch them? And like, you just go like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, yeah. we. but we pigeonhole on like all these bad things. And we miss all the other infinite possibilities that surround us at every every second of every day. Totally. Yeah. I love it yeah that's pretty fun um, to just think about that Um, I want to bring up this quote from your book it's from your one of your mentors um, and he said I wasn't ever waiting to be happy I was just happy now Mm -hmm. and I thought I mean that's kind of like on our point right now and it's such a powerful powerful statement
1: yeah, it seems very simple. That's a, that's a quote from my mentor Casey. Mm-hmm. And to give context to the listener, what was happening was, you know, Casey to me is the epitome of success, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's wealthy. He's got a lovely family, has a beautiful wife. He has a deep, you know, spiritual connection. He gives back to his community. He teaches the university that he lives by. And like he's traveling. He's giving back. I mean, the dude's just on a whole other level and recently we were golfing, Um, he invited me up to the country club he's a member of to go golfing, and one of the companies he invested in, he's a big time investor, um, went public and he made a bunch of money off of it. And we were kind of celebrating the experience, and I asked him, like, hey, what do you think your superpower is, you know? And I was expecting him to say something like, oh, my ability to communicate with other people, or my ability to negotiate a deal or be able to be a super influencer with people I work with. or And he just said, you know what? I'm always just choosing to be happy now. He's like when I was a uh, regular sales rep at the company I worked for, I was the best sales rep. And when I was broke and poor and engaged to my wife, I was broke and poor and engaged to my wife. And when I got uh, promoted to partner in my company I was the best partner and he wasn't trying to get somewhere else he just fully embodied and embraced his current situation and by bringing his relentless work ethic to his current situation without being I would say attached to a specific outcome Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know that's what brought him so much success and I remember being so astonished by his response yeah, because he was just like yeah my superpower is I'm happy now from, you know, an incredibly wealthy, not just financially, but spiritually, physically, mentally, and with his family relationships, you know, that was his response. And so that really, really stood out to me. Yeah. And it's something I do my best to embody to this day.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it stood out to me, too. I, I, I mean, that's, that is an answer I don't expect to hear from anyone I know. I mean, that's just crazy. And, um, but really inspiring, too. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, is there anything you want to share with listeners, with um, anybody who's, you know, reading your book, or anything that's not in there that's just you just want to share?
1: Yeah. So, I'm always kind of wrestling with a question in my life. That's my journal prompt for in the mornings, and I wrestle with it. And the prompt I'm dealing with right now is. Where in my life am I forcing a yes that's not really a yes? Mm. And I think that's a really important question to ask ourselves as we're so often that we're trying to force and manipulate and uh, get a desired outcome based upon our personal preferences of how we think life should unfold for us. And we force our will onto specific situations. Um that aren't really there. We're, we're fighting against the flow. Um, and so with that being said, when I was beginning my spiritual journey, I was working with a coach, and her name's Kristen. I talk about her in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and she left with some really, really good advice as I was starting down this path. And she just said, Doug, loosen the reins loosen the reins. And I remember that hit me like a load of bricks. I was like, wow, I'm holding on to life so tight, trying mm-hmm. to maneuver and manipulate and force my way in to a specific outcome. And in the context, she told me that I was, you know, there was this girl I talked about in my book named Lauren,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who I was trying to win over and things were not going well. And I was trying to like get her to fall in love with me. She was like, hey, loosen the reins, let go. Because it was causing so much anguish. And yeah. so, you know, if I could leave just kind of a, a prompt for anyone listening is, you know, where in your life are you forcing a yes? That's not really a yes. And how can you loosen the reins and learn to let go and let life unfold the way it's supposed to? Because in my experience and those that will read my book, when you let go and let life teach you, right, mm-hmm. it turns out it's way better than you could have predicted for yourself. And it's going to take you places you never thought you were going to go. And life has continued. You can't predict the path. You can't predict how life's going to unfold. I mean, me and you, we could have sat on a call two years ago today, right before the pandemic started, Mm -hmm. right? And we could spend one full day trying to predict our future. What's our life going to look like in one year? No matter (laughs) how much time and effort we put into it, we would have been wrong.
2: Yeah.
1: And such is true with life, right? Can you loosen the reins? Can you let go? Can you trust the flow? Trust your intuition. Listen to the whispers. The nudges of your intuition to guide you. Um, and when I do that, coming from a place of surrender and loosening the reins, um, I'm, I'm, every time I'm pleasantly surprised and happy that I did that because you know life will provide for me.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so good, and it's it's so true. And oftentimes those little nudges they're they're very subtle. I think of them as the little subtle subtle pushes and it's as simple as like hey walk this way you know instead of your normal route or whatever and and then you run into you know a friend you haven't seen it's just it's it's so so divine and amazing yeah,
1: yeah. listen to the clues
0: yeah listen to the clues that's awesome so um where can people find you
1: where are you yeah, at? most active i'm most active on instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. Perfect. Um and you can find my book, Holy Shit, we're alive, on Amazon.
0: Yeah. So good. And
1: so good. And uh yeah, I, I love talking to people who have read my book. So if you read it and you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I respond to every one of my DMs.
0: Yeah. I love that you do that. That's so cool. And um just connecting with with fans, with people um all over that's awesome. Thank um, you. So I have. I love to do just a question of the day at the end of every podcast that I do, and it's just something fun. Uh, it's usually a "Would you rather?" and in the case of today, it is. So, would you rather never get sick ever again, or never be stuck in traffic again?
1: Never get sick. I love. Okay. I don't mind traffic.
0: Okay. I
1: list I lock out. I can knock out audiobooks. I live in LA, mm-hmm. and I can get to like a book a week
0: yeah i i had a feeling that (laughs) i had a feeling you would say that knowing that you uh would probably be stuck in traffic a lot down in la so
1: (laughs) yeah i don't mind the traffic one two on that note too i think when you're sick right when you're sick the only thing you care about is not being sick anymore Mm -hmm. yeah and it's devastating Mm -hmm. so yeah i'll definitely take never be sick again
0: okay <laughs> cool well thank you so much doug it's been just a pleasure and an honor to connect with you and hear more about your story and um, you know, all the good little nuggets that you've given us it's awesome
1: yeah thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: yeah all right well have a good rest of your day and um yeah catch you on social media thank you <laughs> all right see you doug